Can I go now? All right, great. Well, we spent, uh, uh, I spent the whole time in New Orleans. If you've ever been to New Orleans, it's an amazing town, beautiful town, very, very interesting town. We actually went downtown to uh, Bourbon Street, or actually the French Quarter, three different times. And uh, uh, while we were in the French Quarter, uh, the first night, we went, just went to a hamburger place, actually off of Bourbon. We didn't go to Bourbon. Then the, on Friday night, the whole organization, all the, the whole group went down to Bourbon. So here's all these people walking down, all with the same t-shirt on. Was, I felt really stupid. But <laughs> we were in, we were walking down Bourbon Street, and then on, on the last night, we went down for supper again, and we, we were down there. It's a very interesting city. I love the music. I love, you know, love all that, that part of it. But if you've ever been there, or if you've ever heard about Bourbon Street, it's fairly decadent. Fairly, <laughs> yes. It's very, it's fairly interesting. It was, uh, it was funny because you know everywhere you look. I mean, it's just like I told somebody. It's, it's like that that movie dreamscape of you know where where it's like a carnival and you have all these really strange people saying and doing things all around you in this dream state. I said it was exactly like that with your eyes open. I mean, anything and everything was was permissible. Anything and everything was acceptable, expected. You were actually expected to partake in this. You, you were looked down upon if you didn't. It was funny because on the first night when we just went to the burger place, uh, we, were, I was, we were standing outside. We had an hour and a half wait to get into the restaurant. They said it was the best burger in New Orleans. It was good. I don't know if it was worth an hour and a half wait. But we're standing there. While I was standing there, we're all standing in the line, and these guys are all standing. I'm the one on the end of the line. This guy walks up to me from the side. I don't have my cell phone on me, but he has a smartphone. He goes, hey, man, take a look at this. Well, as soon as I saw him and heard him say something, I immediately turned away. I thought, okay, that can't be good, all right? Just can't be good. And he goes, no, hey, buddy, buddy, taps me on the shoulder. He goes, take a look at her. And he, he starts to hand it to me, and I, I turned away, and I just, I just ignored him. And he goes, no, really, hey, buddy, here, take a look at this. Look what she's doing. And I turned and I looked him in the eyes and I said, I don't need to. Get away from me. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he walked away. Later on that night, one of the guys go, you know, I, I've never been to, the, to Bourbon Street, never been to the French Quarter, but everybody talks about all the prostitutes and all that kind of stuff going on down there. They said, I never saw anything. And I, I started laughing. I said, I had a guy come up to me, I had a pimp come up and was trying to, and he goes, they said, Really? We're all downtown and the pastor is the one who gets approached? <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere. It's, it's, and it, like I say, it's expected. It's, it's one, the, our whole society, if you, everywhere you look, there is a, an expectation to compromise our values and to partake in things that are not wholesome and healthy for our lives. Now, we know as Christians that the Bible says to be pure. And what does purity mean? Well, purity means that you're not defiled by the things of the world. You're not, you're not uh, uh, tainted by the, the evil desires of the flesh. Now, that sounds very puritanical, but in a real-life situation, God does want us to be pure. He desires for us to be pure. He's made a way for us to be pure. He, through the blood of Jesus, has caused us to be pure. But we still have choices every day to make to, to continue in that purity. 
over the next couple of weeks here, we're going to talk about something. I'm, I'm d- diverting from the series that I had left off before I left. And we're going to be talking about the, uh, the idea of purity in our lives. The idea of purity, and especially sexual purity. Now, this is one of those topics that you don't hear much in church. And there's a reason for it. It's very uncomfortable to talk about. Especially when you're the guy up front and you have to say words like sexual. Purity's not so bad. Sexual's tough. There's a few other words which I may or may not be able to speak out. I don't know. But we'll work at it. But we don't talk about it. And because we don't talk about it, I mean, it's in the Bible, isn't it? I mean, it's in there. It talks about being pure. It talks about having control of the lusts of the flesh. It talks about specific sins. And here, we, we go to church every Sunday, and I, and I can probably count on two fingers the number of sermons I've heard like this in my whole entire life. Because it's not comfortable. We don't want to talk about it. We don't, we don't want to have to deal with it. I mean, we need to deal with it because we deal with it every day of our lives, but we don't want to deal with it, especially in church, because this is holy, and this is holy ground, and I'm sure God wouldn't want us to talk about it. Except he spent a whole number of times in the Bible dealing directly with it and speaking directly with it, and he wants us, he wants us to have victory in this area. And we can't have victory unless we deal with it. We can't have victory in this, just like any other area, unless we specifically talk about it and then give hope through it. Turn with me to John chapter 8. Yesterday morning, I, I began talking about this with the bulls. And it, we, we, I just shared that we we're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks. Talked about the, the context, talked about why we're doing it, and I'll share more of that as we go along. But we started out with this, with this, uh, these verses. John chapter 8, beginning with verse 2. At dawn, he, meaning Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with this finger. When, he kept on, when they kept on questioning him, He straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left, with the woman standing there, or still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now whenever you've probably heard that uh, passage read before or preached upon, it's usually in the context of mercy. It's usually in the context of, of forgiveness of sin, that God doesn't hold our sin against us. And that's true. That is, that's exactly what that's about. 
But the one thing that I've always noticed is I've read that and just, you know, and you, you, you think about it, you think, I don't like to just read a, a, a verse or read a chapter and just go, oh, that was really good. I can pick this out of it and pick that out of it. I like to think, I, I put myself in that situation and I start to think about what, what was happening, how, what really was happening there, what was going on around behind the scenes, what, was, what led up to it, what was, you know, what, what was Jesus really doing, what was he, what, why did he say the things he did. And one of the things I've always noticed was, it says that the woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now I'm pretty sure, I haven't checked in the dictionary, but I'm sure the act of adultery takes two. And the Old Testament, the law, didn't say that just stone the woman. It said stone both of them. So my question has always been, where's the guy? You know, there's, a, there's always been a double standard. And in, in the area that we're talking about here, there's been this double standard that still is perpetrated even into today. You know, on one side of it, the world says, oh, here, look at this. Oh, here, partake in this. Go to this website. Go, do, go, go meet this girl. Go do this. Make this, make this uh, 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 you know, get together with this person. Go on this date. Go do this and that. And then when you get caught, you know, go to this prostitute, go to this. And then when you get caught, oh, what kind of a human being are you? You are so terrible. Perfect example is Tiger Woods. You know, I've heard different uh, uh, sports announcers, sportscasters talking about this, the Tiger Woods deal, and he says, oh yeah, we've known about this for years. They've known about it for years, and they winked at it. Oh, you know, look at Tiger. Way to go, buddy. Sowing your wild oats. Isn't this awesome? But as soon as he gets caught, and as soon as this blows up, oh, should he ever play uh, golf again? Should he, should he be a spokesman? Well, they knew about it before. Should he have been a spokesman then? No, because back then it was winked at. Oh, it's okay. But as soon as it gets exposed, oh, what a horrible human being you are. Or there's those things that are acceptable. There's those things that are okay, you know, that are, that are culturally okay. Well, you know, it's, it's just pornography. You know, you're really not hurting anybody because there's not another person involved. There isn't. But culturally, it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not hurting anybody because it's just me. I'm in my room, I'm in, you know, wherever I'm at, you know, I'm by myself, I'm not hurting anyone. Yes, you are. You're hurting yourself. And because of what you, the, the lifestyle that a person gets into when uh, uh, dealing with these kinds of sins... It comes out in our other relationships. It can't help it. Your marriage relationship, your wife, your, your, your children, it will go over into those other areas. It can't help it. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you think that way in your mind, if you think this is okay, if you think that this is all right, if you, if you meditate on those things, and that's what pornography does, is it causes you to meditate on images, on concepts, on all these different things, it will cause you one day to act out. I guarantee it. You will. And we just, if you read the news in the last week, the people that, there was a guy caught in a public spot, arrested, 
for public indecency. I'm sure he didn't wake up one day and thought, you know, I think I'm going to go do that. That just sounds like fun. It's over years and years of, of feeding that monster to the point where then you can't help. You, it, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I have some statistics, and I, I looked for some more recent statistics, and the ones I kept finding were so horrific, I couldn't even share them. I was just like, I can't, I'll just share the ones I have because it's bad enough, and I'll just, you'll get the point. But these are a few years old. The size of the pornography industry is $57 billion a year in the world. $12 billion of that is just in America. America is not the largest pornography industry. That's, that's very, that was very interesting to me. Interesting. By comparison, the combined U.S. revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC are $6.2 billion. The pornography industry is spending twice as much as ABC, CBS, and NBC to get their message out. They are specifically targeting human beings to cause them to be decadent, to, to, to rip apart their soul. Now, obviously, they don't think we have a, a spirit and a soul. Obviously, they don't think there's any damage. But what the, the, the reality of it is, is that we're being ripped out. Our, our very life is being, being ripped out from the inside out. There are 4.2 million pornographic sites on the Internet. That's 12% of the whole Internet is pornographic. Every day, there are 2.5 billion pornographic emails sent from one person to another. One of the biggest lies Satan tells is that it's not a sin. This is just in your mind. It's not hurting anyone else. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, you have, heard it, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, that's the world, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's just the world. Why are we talking about this in church? Because we're Christians here. We, we, I'm sure this doesn't affect us in any way, shape, or form. Barna Research, and Barna is probably one of the, the most uh, conservative research groups out there that I know of. I mean, not, not just conservative in their beliefs, but they're also, he doesn't just inflate numbers to make them sound one way or another. He's very conservative in his, in his results. Among born again, and when he doesn't say, are you born again, he says, describe yourself spiritually. And, they, and as someone describes themselves spiritually, if they fit the model of what we believe born again to be, then he labels them as born again. So it's not they say, oh, I'm born again, and then, but they have no lifestyle to back it up. These are people who believe that they are born again and can articulate what it means to be born again. Of those people who say they're born again, 49% believe that sexual thoughts and fantasies are morally acceptable. Among born-again Christians, 28% consider pornography as morally acceptable. Among born-again Christians, 35% believe sex outside of marriage is morally acceptable. The problem is, as man thinks, so is he. Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 15, says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? 
By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. He, we're not supposed to live with that weight on us, with that pressure, with that, with that allowing ourselves to, to em, embrace that lifestyle in any way, shape, or form. He's called us to a life of purity. And He's given us the ability to live it out. According to Christianity, Christianity Today, I'm sorry, Christian Net Survey, 50% of Christian men are addicted to pornography. 20% of Christian women are addicted to pornography. 60% of Christian women admitted to having significant struggles with lust. According to Christianity Today, 30, 37% of pastors admit that cyber porn is a current struggle, and 51% believe it is a source of temptation. To tell you the truth, all of these statistics are lower than what they're saying today. 57% of pastors said addiction to pornography is the most sexually damaging issue in their congregation. According to the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, 68% of divorces involve one party meeting a new party over the Internet. 56% of divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 33% of divorces involve one party spending excessive time in chat rooms. Now, just, just about women, 34% of female readers of today's Christian women admitted to intentionally accessing Internet porn. One out of three visitors to adult websites are women. Of those struggling with sexual addiction under the age of 35, 40% are women. And then here is the, 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 most, the ones that, that grieved me the most. The largest and fastest growing group of consumers of internet pornography are between the ages of 12 and 17. The average age of exposure to pornography is 11. The worst part about all of this is usually, usually it begins before you have any idea what it means. That age of 11 is the statistical average. I was younger. That's one of the hardest things to say, to say publicly. But I know that is something I have to say. Because if I won't say it, nobody else will. We're 
We're real human beings. We've always been real together. Ever since I started, I said, I'll, I'll always be real with you. I'll tell you where I succeed, but I'll also tell you where I fail. Because it's confession. Confession gives you the ability, gives you the, 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 the power to overcome sin. I'm 48 years old. Over the last 40 years, I've struggled on and off with this problem for 40 years. Now the truth is, is that many of you have also. And even a greater truth is God wants us to be free. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's not just a catchphrase. That's the truth. And the truth is, there is freedom. There is victory in this area. And most people believe that there isn't because they're all by themselves and they, don't, they can't dare talk about it. They can't because we don't talk about those things in polite company. We don't talk about those things, especially in church. We'll call sin, you know, well, you know, don't sin, big general. We'll talk about gossip, because gossip's terrible, but, you know, at least I'm not doing it. But we can see from the statistics, statistically speaking, most of us have had to deal with this the rest of, most of our life, in one level or another. And most of us started before we knew any better. It wasn't our fault. We, we, we stumbled on a magazine. We, we, walked in, you know, we walked in on something we weren't expecting to see. And all of a sudden, it just changed us inside. It's been my heart for years to deal with this. And I've prayed for years. I've said, you know, God, we, I want to help people. The reason being is for the last... I've been in ministry now for 20 years. <clears throat> For be either with youth ministry or adult ministry or combinations of all. And over the last 20 years, you would not believe the number of men who have come to me and said, I have a problem. I need help. I have tried to, to break this. I've tried to defeat it. I've prayed. I've asked God to remove it from my life. I've tried, I've tried everything. And, I'm, and I just I keep falling back into it. My wife has had people come to, them, come to her and say, I deal with this. She's had women come to her and say, I deal with this, and I don't know how to stop. And it's that silent thing that's behind the scenes that nobody dares talk about because anybody who's, who struggles with that has got to be a pervert. Has got to, there's got to be something wrong with them. Are they even really saved? And in reality, as the t- statistics say, that... Or most of us are dealing with it. In one way or another. Or you're married to somebody who's dealing with it, which is, it has its own pain and suffering. And God wants us to be free. And he's given us a way to be free through the blood of Jesus, but also the relationships that we have around us who can lift us up and give us that, that extra push over the edge that, that accountability, that relationship that we need to have the strength to walk this out in victory. I've prayed for years for a group, but one thing I've always prayed for is, God, I can't lead it every day, all the time. There has to be a group of people who will, who will come along and pick this up and carry it. And in the last six months, 
we've had a group come forward and, be, and being prepared to do this. That's, I'm not going to share all of the, the statistics and all the pain and all the, the embarrassment without telling you there's hope. There's hope. 1 Thessalonians says, verse four, or chapter 4 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should, should, wrong, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. God wants you to be free from this cycle of temptation, sin, and guilt. He has given us a way out. Titus 2 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Beginning the first and third Tuesday nights in April, we're going to be starting a new group. It'll meet every first and, and third Tuesday nights 7 o'clock here at the church. To begin with, it's going to be a men's only group. But we are already in the process. We're already building upon and getting ready to, to start a women's group also. And then eventually down the road, within the next six months or so, we're actually going to be having a group of a group for women or you know, women whose husbands deal with this, because there's a whole group of issues that, that come up if your husband has dealt with this. Anxiety, fear, turmoil. First and third, Tuesday nights, 7 o'clock, here at the church. Could I have the three men who are going to be leading that? Please stand. I've asked them ahead of time if I could do, in, introduce them. These guys are brave. These guys have come to me and said, we need to do something like this. We want to help people. We've dealt with it at different levels in our own life, and we want to stand and we want to help other men do this. Kathy is going to be leading the other group as when that starts up. Kathy, why don't you stand for a moment? Kathy is going to be leading the other groups, the ladies' groups, once we get to that point. You guys can sit down. Thank you. Over the next couple of weeks, next week, we actually have a, a, a couple who are going to be coming. They don't go to church here. It's easier to give your testimony somewhere where you're not known. We have a couple, a husband and a wife, who have been through this. And they're going to share their stories. Not just share what, what, what happened and what the, 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 the pain, the agony, but they're going to share the victory. Because they're experiencing victory in this area. They're, they're experiencing freedom, and their marriage is stronger than when it was before. Next week, we're going to be, they're going to be sharing. Also, another young man is going to be sharing his story. So we have three different testimonies next week. I encourage you to, to also be here for that. 
James chapter 5, verse 13 says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's one thing to ask people and tell people to stop. It's completely another thing to walk alongside of them and help them to stop. I need that. I need somebody. I've had, I've had men through my whole walk with Christ who've come alongside and I say, I need to be accountable to you. I need to give you permission to ask me at any moment how my life is in this area. It's very humbling to do that. It's very scary to do that. But I can guarantee you there are times when you're going, I can't do this right now because if I do that, I'm going to have to tell so-and-so. Accountability is powerful. Walking together, what, walking alone, you're by yourself, with walking with somebody else who's, who loves you, who cares for you, who's praying for you, who's speaking into your life, and who is a model of, of success and victory, gives you the, that extra oomph. You know, yes, Jesus died for our sins, and yes, he gives, the Holy Spirit gives us the power, but many people have struggled for years being a Christian, being filled with the Holy Ghost, and still struggle. It's not that Jesus didn't do enough. He did it all. But there is the body. The body coming together and walking with one another is absolutely vital and powerful. So on the first and third Tuesday nights, we're going to be starting to get together. Not this Monday night, but the next Monday night will be actually be our first meeting. It's going to be an introductory meeting. We're just going to be talking about what's going to happen during the meetings. You'll be getting a book. I did not grab the book. Does anybody, one of you guys have the book? There's a book called The Game Plan that we'll be starting out with. It's a 30-day uh, Bible study for, for uh, this sort of uh, situation. It gives you tools. It gives you scriptures. It gives you a game plan how to begin this walk in victory. I encourage any man who has had trouble with this, who struggled with this in any way, shape, or form to come and be a part of that first meeting. Not this Monday night, but the next Monday night at 7 o'clock. Wives, encourage your husbands to come. And I'll say the same thing as I did yesterday morning. Some men here may have not struggled with this. You've, maybe it's been years since you've struggled. Maybe you've had victory for years and years and years, and it's not even a temptation for you anymore. God bless you. We need you. We need your help, too. We need men who, have, who are experiencing victory to come alongside those who aren't. Not in judgment. Not in pointing fingers, not in whispering, but in saying, hey, you can do this. And we're going to walk with you. We're going to hold you up. We're going to lift you. We're going to be calling you. We're going to be standing with you. We're going to be asking you questions. We're going to be praying for you. And we know there's victory. Come, follow me. Go, go, come with us. Now, I've, since I've been talking about this with the, the leadership and with some other folks, one of the questions came up was, what about teenagers? At this time, young men cannot come to this meeting on Tuesday nights. But very shortly, we'll be starting a group of young men. Very soon. We can only start one thing at a time and, and, and start it right. 
But we know how vital it is for the young men and women of this church to have uh, accountability and to start building that. Why not stop that trend in the first stages and not have to deal with it for 40 years, not have to deal with it for, for 30 days more? Why not start it out without having to have all those things piling up, all that guilt, all that pressure, all of that, that junk? So we know how vital that is, and we're going to be starting a group, and it will start very soon. I've been talking to the, the, the men of the, the youth group that lead the youth group. We've talked about it. We're going to be talking more and how to, how to work that out. And so as this grows, um, we will keep announcing. We'll let people know what's going on and, 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 and keep that out there. The interesting thing is we've already had, in, some people have heard about what we're doing um, and they've asked if we would accept people from the outside. There's also already another church who said, if you're doing it on Tuesday night, is we, have, we have possibly have some men who would want to come on a Tuesday night. It's already becoming an outreach, and we haven't even started yet. God's hand is on this. We, he wants people to be free, and we're going to see it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. We'll pray. Father, I thank you for truth. Lord, I thank you for the light of your word shining on our lives. Lord, it isn't always fun. It's not always exciting. It's not, it's not the uh, feel-good topic of the summer. But Lord, it's truth. And Lord, I know you want people to be free of both sexes, of all ages, of married and unmarried you want people to be free of that, that burden of guilt. You want people to have victory. Lord, I ask you to take this now. You've been leading us to this point, Lord, and I know that you're, you're calling us beyond. Father, take this and make it what you want it to be. Lord, we commit it unto you. We, we place it at your feet. And we ask you, Father... to change people's lives, to set them free. Set the captives free, Lord. Help us to not only be free ourselves, but to, to make it possible to give uh, opportunity for others to walk in freedom also. Father, I pray for protection over all of this. No gossip. No finger pointing. No accusations. Nothing but love. Thank you that love will permeate everything about this. In every facet, in every, at every angle. And that it will bring life and life more abundantly to families, to couples, and to individuals. Thank you for it, Father. For all that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Have the prayer partners come forward if you are a prayer partner and come on up. If you need prayer for anything, they'll be up here praying with you and for you. Do we need to take the chairs down? Oh, tonight, one last thing before you leave. Tonight is a prayer with the, uh, the cries. They're going to be here at 6 o'clock. So leave up the middle 40 chairs right here in the, the front middle, the first four or five rows. Everything else can be taken down. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. See you at prayer tonight at 6 o'clock.